0: This is it. This is the very big secret that I've been holding on to, waiting to divulge. You might find this hard to believe, but hear me out. There are two Samuel Johnsons, okay? There are two Samuel Johnsons. And the difference is that Samuel Johnson 1 is the Samuel Johnson of his letters, of his writing. And that Samuel Johnson is shockingly, surprisingly, almost irreconcilably different from the Samuel Johnson of the in-person relationship the tangible physical corporeal human manifestation of Samuel Johnson and this distinction this division between Samuel Johnson 1 and Samuel Johnson 2 is like part of the architecture of this book if you if i just sort of skip through pages here you know and, and look at just the page layout, I go through sections of the book that are clearly correspondence. They're letters, they're the, the parts of the book, they're the parts of Samuel Johnson's life, the parts of James Boswell's life, where they're corresponding by letters. And there's a very unique voice, there's a very unique Samuel Johnson that comes across in these letters. And other parts of the book, there are no letters. It's just what you'd expect in a biography, The sort of prose, And those are the parts of the book where Samuel Johnson and Boswell are together. And so they're not corresponding by letters, but they're experiencing each other face-to-face. And those two Samuel Johnsons, those two relationships, those two personalities are just so surprisingly, shockingly different. The Samuel Johnson of letters is asking Boswell how he's doing. The Samuel Johnson of letters is always saying, please send your regards to your wife and he has this game with Boswell that he pretends that like James Boswell's wife doesn't like him and so he's like tell her not to be mad at me anymore I, I have no grudges we should end our fight together And it's just charming it's just silly it's cutesy he's totally charismatic in in these letters he's he's sweet he's endearing there's a scene towards the end um, where they're corresponding and Boswell tells Johnson that he has this new son and his son is sickly he's a sickly child unfortunately he doesn't end up surviving the child and and just johnson is so full of concern and compassion and when the baby finally dies um he tells boswell that i, I can't comfort you someone else will have to do that um, and it's just night and day from the other samuel johnson the samuel johnson of the in-person experience and Boswell cares about this tension. He, he plays with this tension. He plays with this dichotomy, with this duality. One example of this, in almost every letter we get from Samuel Johnson, is this asking Boswell about his wife, about this, this joke that he has, this sort of running joke of, tell her not to be mad at me anymore. Um, let's end our hostilities. Where does that come from? So that is the Samuel Johnson of the letters. Where does that come from? I'm on page 404. This is Johnson writing a letter to Boswell. To James Boswell, Esquire, dear sir, I came home last night without any incommodity, danger or weariness, and I'm ready to begin a new journey. I shall go to Oxford on Monday. I know Mrs. Boswell wished me to go. Her wishes have not been disappointed. Miss Williams has received dot dot dot. Okay, the letter continues. And this is at the tail end. This is after Johnson has been staying by James Boswell's house for a while. And we have a footnote. Boswell adds a footnote. Because Johnson said that I know Mrs. Boswell wished me to go. Footnote, James Boswell. In this, he showed a very acute penetration. My wife paid him the most assiduous and respectful attention while he was our guest, so that I wonder how he discovered her wishing for his departure. The truth is that his irregular hours and uncouth habits, such as turning the candles with their heads downwards, when they did not burn bright enough, and letting the wax drip upon the carpet, could not but be disagreeable to a lady. And that's the tension. The Samuel Johnson is eloquent and he's charismatic and he's so appealing in his correspondence, but in person he's difficult. He's a difficult house guest. He causes the wax to drip upon the floor. To give a sense of how extreme this difference is. In previous videos, I've pointed out the ways in which Samuel Johnson in person, in the flesh, is limited. He's limited in ways that don't come across in his letters, that don't come across in his writing in general. Samuel Johnson is a writer. He has a literary reputation. But in person, he is strange, he's different, he's harder to be around. And here's another great example of this. Boswell and Johnson are dining at the club with some other people. This is a classic... Classic Johnson anecdote, okay? Johnson the person. One of the company suggested an internal objection to the antiquity of the poetry said to be Ossians, that we do not find the wolf in it, which must have been the case had it been of that age. Okay, someone dining in the literary club mentioned something about the antiquity of a poem because there's no wolf in it. Here we go. What happens? This is Johnson, the person. The mention of the wolf had led Johnson to think of other wild beasts. And while Sir Joshua Reynolds and Mr. Langton were carrying on a dialogue about something which engaged them earnestly, he in the midst of it broke out. Pennant tells of bears, dot, dot, dot. They went on, so Boswell's continuing, saying that Sir Joshua Reynolds and Mr. Langton went on with their discussion, which he, this is now Johnson, being dull of hearing, did not perceive, or if he did, was not willing to break off his talk. So he continued to vociferate his remarks and bear, like a word in a catch, was repeatedly heard at intervals, while we who were sitting around could hardly stifle laughter produced a very ludicrous effect." End quote. That's Johnson, the person, in his own world, going off on this rant about bears, oblivious. And so this is really just the first of the Samuel Johnson typologies, the Samuel Johnson in writing versus Samuel Johnson in person. Because there's another distinction that Boswell is exploring and playing with. And it's Samuel Johnson, the public person, versus Samuel Johnson, the private person. One of the questions that occurs to every reader of The Life of Samuel Johnson when they read this book for the first time, and rightfully so, is if Samuel Johnson had Twitter, would he be hashtag canceled? And the answer to that question is, He basically was canceled in his own time. Samuel Johnson had a lot of very strong takes, very strong opinions. And not just opinions that sort of don't sit well with us today, given our modern sensibilities, but opinions that were pretty extreme and sort of outside on the fringe in his own time. He was a super strong monarchist. He believed in the virtue of subjugation and the virtue of the superiority and importance of unrestrained power. He was super anti-democratic. And he wrote a pamphlet called Taxation No Tyranny. So Boswell talks about the blowback. Quote, these pamphlets drew upon him numerous attacks against the common weapons of literary warfare. He was hardened. But there were two instances of enemy adversions which I communicated to him, and from what I could judge, both from his silence and his looks, appeared to me to impress him much. End quote. So what Boswell is saying is that for the most part, he didn't care about all the blowback, but there were two responses that did affect him. And this I sort of see as an example, one of many, where Boswell's playing with this discrepancy. He's trying to penetrate, he's trying to dig beneath the exterior of the public Johnson. The Johnson who writes the pamphlets, the literary Johnson, the Johnson of the dictionary, to the private Johnson. The Johnson's internal self-image. And these were the criticisms. This This is Samuel Johnson getting canceled. One was a letter to Samuel Johnson occasioned by his late political publications. In that performance, Dr. Johnson was treated with the respect due to so eminent a man While his conduct as a political writer was boldly and pointedly arraigned, as inconsistent with the character of one who, if he did employ his pen upon politics, it might reasonably be expected should distinguish himself not by party violence and rancor, but by moderation and by wisdom. It concluded thus... I would, however, wish you to remember, should you again address the public under the character of a political writer, that luxuriance of imagination or energy of language will ill-compensate for the want of candor or justice and of truth. And I shall only add, that should I hereafter be disposed to read, as I heretofore have done, the most excellent of all your performances, The Rambler, the pleasure the pleasure which I have been accustomed to find in it will be much diminished by the reflection that the writer of so moral, so elegant, and so valuable a work was capable of prostituting his talents." End quote. And so this is my topology, this is my chart. The written Johnson versus the in-person Johnson, where the written Johnson is eloquent and charismatic and compelling, and the in-person Johnson is limited and strange and sort of out of touch fails to communicate and also the second distinction between the public Johnson and the private Johnson and I think one of the central elements of this book part of its magic what's going on is that Boswell is arguing there's something here which no one knows there's an element of Johnson which no one has seen before beyond his public exterior beyond his public writings is is a kind of beautiful Appealing, strange interiority, which only Boswell has seen, and Boswell is sharing to the world. And there, there are multiple examples of this. There's one example later in the book where they're at the literary club, and, and there was some ridiculous rumor in the papers that Johnson was learning to dance. And among the people in the literary club, uh, there's like they're whispering to each other, Should we ask Johnson about this? Is it true? And, of course, they all know it's ridiculous. And Boswell says there's only one person who had the courage to pose the question. And Boswell says it took, like, a hardened military general with, like, combat experience to have enough courage to ask Johnson the question of, are you learning to dance? And Johnson is, like, so shocked by the question, taken aback. Of course, um, it's just a rumor. But he, he ends up joking about it. He says... Why should not Dr. Johnson add to his other powers a little corporeal agility? Socrates learned to dance at an advanced age, and Cato learned Greek at an advanced age, end quote. And so these are like the moments that excite Boswell to no end. These are like the flashes of something strange and wonderful about the capacity of Johnson to sort of transcend his rough exterior, his bear-like demeanor, and and give a flash of something uh, comedic and something uh, surprising about his self-image, about the way he's willing to talk about himself. Another example like this in the book, again, Boswell being obsessed with Johnson's insight, how Johnson sees himself, perceives himself, talks about himself. Boswell quoting Johnson. So, quote, Johnson. It is wonderful, sir, how rare a quality good humor is in life. We meet very few good-humored men. end quote. And so so the irony here already is that Johnson's reputation, most people's experience with Johnson is that Johnson is the opposite of good-humored. He is way intense. He is way in his own world. We continue Quote, I mentioned four of our friends, none of whom he would allow to be good-humored. One was acid, another was muddy, and to the others he had objections which have escaped me. Then, shaking his head and stretching himself at his ease in the coach and smiling with much complacency, he turned to me and said, I look upon myself as a good-humored fellow. Boswell continues. The epithet fellow applied to the great lexicographer, the stately moralist, the masterly critic, as if he had been Sam Johnson, a mere pleasant companion, was highly diverting. And this light notion of himself struck me with wonder. And so what I love about this typology, these strands of Samuel Johnson that Boswell weaves together is that they're not just true of Samuel Johnson. I think all of us have external personas and moments when we let our guard down and we're more authentically ourselves. In this age of social media, there's a very pervasive Distinction between the written identity of a person, what they post, what they write, what they publish, what they tweet, versus what they're like in real life, who they are in real life. And I think if there's any message of the book, it's, it's the complexity of human beings, specifically the complexity of Samuel Johnson. And if there's any message of the book, it's that despite his bad takes despite the difficulty in being friends with him at times despite the fact that in some sense i've been making this sort of joke that samuel johnson was cancelled in some sense he was rejected by the intellectual elite among his peers for his bad takes uh, being inconsistent in the application of his moral values Despite all that, human beings are multidimensional and human beings are more than their bad takes, they're more than their public persona and it's important on an interpersonal level, it's valuable, it's rewarding on an interpersonal level to be able to see beyond the most rough elements of a person's exterior, and the worst social media takes that a person might have.